Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Second Timothy chapter two. This is just kind of a launching off point. Um, we're, you know, obviously I'm going to go through and we're going to talk about Israel and the last days. There's some stuff that I have to lay down as groundwork for this before we get started, and uh, then we'll then we'll get into it. Let me pray and then we'll get into the passage here. Father, we just thank you for the time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you've told us things to come. You've shown us in Scripture where this world's going to go and what's going to be taking place, and you have specific promises and prophecies about the people of Israel. And Lord, as we go through and we talk about some of these things, we pray that you'd be, uh, again, speaking to our hearts, that you'd increase our faith. We know that when we go through the Word and we see how you have performed and how you have kept your promises. Lord, it just increases our faith. And so, Lord, we want to see, we want to have some of that this evening. Pray that you'd be speaking to us and we just give you the time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, what I want to talk to you about is hermeneutics. It's just a fancy word for biblical interpretation, okay? And the reason that I need to do this is because most of the arguments that people come up with against Israel being something that God, a nation that God is dealing with on an ongoing basis has to do with methods of interpretation. And so I need to go through and talk to you about some of this and I'm gonna try not to make it college level and I, you know, and I know I've already done that with the word hermeneutics of all things. It just means biblical interpretation. I don't, know, I don't know why scholars have to do this stuff. They have to take Greek and you know, throw it around and, and that kind of thing. But in any case, you, we, need to be talk, we need to be looking at biblical interpretation. And then the other thing I'm going to talk to you about tonight is the covenants. God has made covenants are basically contracts that God has made, and they are in the Old Testament. And so there are New Testament covenants. You know that we are saved through the new covenant in Jesus' blood, but that's not new. That's Old Testament is one of the things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be showing you hopefully tonight. In any case, God made covenants with the people of Israel, and those covenants are either true or they're false. They're either going to happen or they're not. And that's some of the stuff that, that we're going to be talking about tonight. But before we can ever get there, we gotta, we've got to talk about biblical interpretation. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to talk to you about a few rules of biblical interpretation. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul's talking to Timothy. And again, this is his last letter to Timothy. And so when you have the last things that you're ever going to say, Paul knows that he's going to die. When you have the last things that you're going to say, usually they're pretty important. And so in verse 15, he tells him, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
This is a verse that I use all the time. That word rightly dividing, literally in Greek, means cutting it straight. It means cutting it straight. And it's the idea of a stone cutter cutting stones that will fit. Have you ever watched a mason put up a stone wall? And one of the things that happens when they're putting up a stone wall is they have to find stones that will fit in certain places so that the grout lines look even, okay? You have the same thing with bricks, but bricks are more uniform. When you're talking about stone cutters in ancient Israel, stone cutters in ancient Israel didn't use mortar. And so they cut stones that literally fit so tight that 2,000 years later, I've seen some of these stones, you can't stick a piece of paper in between them. And so the idea behind that is that you're able, when it says a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, cutting it straight, it's the idea of being able to take the different parts of the Bible and put, it, put them together so that they actually fit together. And it's something that we're called to as Christians. I'm obviously called to it as a pastor. Look at verse 16. It says, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. And so on the one hand, you have somebody who's taking the word of God seriously and diligently putting it all together. And then on the other hand, you are going to have people who with the scripture are gonna come up with profane and idle babblings. Old King Jimmy says vain babblings. And then he gives an example. He says, their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. These are two false teachers. How'd you like to have your name in the Bible as a false teacher? These guys, they did that. These are those guys. And he says, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. See that? You know what that's about? That's what's called eschatology. It's the doctrines of last things. And so even in the first century, guys had their eschatology all squirreled up. And Paul uses two of these guys as examples of false teachers. And so obviously, that's going to be going, going on as time goes on. So in any case, the Bible, I could give you a whole bunch of other verses, but the Bible talks about the fact that we need to be able to interpret Scripture correctly, okay? And so that's what the whole, for lack of a better word, science of hermeneutics is all about. There is no question more important than methods of interpretation. When you're looking at uh, the difference between all millenarians and pre-millenarians, another big word, we are pre-tribulational, pre-millennial, okay? That's, that's what the doctrine is here. Pre-millennial means the, millennium, the millennium hasn't happened that the kingdom of God has not come down on this earth in the sense of the, of the fulfillment that you see in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, where Jesus said he's gonna come back and rule and reign. And so pre-millenarian means that you believe that the millennium is future. And then you have a-millennialists or a-millenarian, that's a goofy word, and they believe a in Greek is no, and so it's the idea that there is no millennium. There is no actual kingdom of Christ on the earth. And that all these passages are something that are allegorical. And we'll talk about that in just a second. This whole idea of amillennialism started with Philo and Origen. They came up with an allegorical approach to interpretation. And when you are dealing with amillennialists, 
They believe that the difference between our two interpretive approaches is, again, hermeneutical. And that's the idea of it's something that is based on the way that we interpret things. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And so when you're talking about all millennials, you are talking about the Roman Catholic Church. You're talking about many of the old Reformed churches because they kept Catholic eschatology. And again, big word, sorry, but it means the study of last things. And so last days Bible interpretation. And so when, you, when you're talking about Reformed churches, they're usually millennial. So you have all these churches that are Christian in the sense that they may believe in Jesus and they follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, that kind of thing. And yet they believe that all the passages that deal with Israel being a nation in the last days and Israel being a nation that God is going to turn around and bring back into a relationship with them. They believe that those prophecies are to be interpreted what's called allegorically, and they don't actually apply to Israel. In other words, when you read the passages that talk about Israel being a nation in the last days, it doesn't really mean Israel. When you read the passages that talk about God blessing Israel in the last days, bringing Israel back to the land in the last days, it doesn't really mean Israel. And so there's the words on the page, and then there's the interpretation. And all millennials, again, don't believe uh, that the kingdom is something that's going to come to pass. I got a quote here from one of my commentaries. He said, he said this, this is uh, from a commentary by uh, Dwight Pentecost. And this is actually a quote from Albertus Peters. And he says, the question whether the Old Testament prophecies concerning the people of God must be interpreted in their ordinary sense as other scriptures are interpreted or can properly be applied to the Christian church is called the question of the spiritualization of prophecy. This is one of the major problems of biblical interpretation and confronts everyone who makes a serious study of the word of God. It is one of the chief keys to the difference of opinion between premillenarians and the mass of Christian scholars. The former rejects such spiritualization, the latter employ it, and as long as there is no agreement on this point, the debate is interminable and fruitless. And so we have a primary need for a system of hermeneutics to ascertain the meaning of the word of God. And it's one of those things that is important if we're gonna study the, the Bible to be equipped with an accurate method of interpretation. Otherwise, error is going to, be, going to be the end result of that. Okay, so we've gotta be able to interpret the Bible correctly. And this, is, this whole part of the study is an answer to the idea that there are all kinds of different interpretations of the Bible. How do you know that yours is right? Okay? And I'm, going to, I'm actually going to make this pretty easy for you. So there's two methods of interpretation. One method is allegorical, and the other one is grammatical and historical, okay? One is called the allegorical method. The other one is called the literal method of interpretation. Okay, so let's talk about the allegorical method first off. And obviously, I'm not a guy that's like this. Allegorism, as defined by Bernard Ram is the method of interpreting a literary text that regards the literal sense as the vehicle for a secondary, more spiritual, and more profound sense. 
And so this is one of those things that you hear pastors doing when they're going through a passage and say, for example, they don't really believe in the feeding of the 5,000. And so what they'll, what they'll do is they'll allegorize the feeding of the 5,000, say that there wasn't really a, a miracle there, for example. So I have one commentary where the guy went through and as he's interpreting the passage, he says that Jesus didn't really take bread and, and bread and fish from a boy, take his lunch, what actually happened and, and multiply it and make bread and fish for 5,000 people, what actually happened is the little boy came up and he offered Jesus his lunch, which is exactly what took place. But then what that did was that made everybody else in the crowd feel bad about the whole situation. And so they pulled their lunch out of their sleeves because apparently that's where they kept their lunches pulled their lunches out of their sleeves and there was enough for everybody to share and more. That's a, good, that's a good example of an allegorical interpretation of the feeding of the 5,000. What the Bible actually says is that Jesus took the kid's lunch, blessed it and broke it and fed 5,000 people with it. That's what it actually says. And so what the commentator is trying to do is trying to take that story and make it not the real story, but take that and use it to train his people to be people who share. That's a great example of an allegorical interpretation. And so here's the dangers of this. Number one, it does not interpret scripture. It disregards common word significations and it's fraught with speculation. It replaces legitimate meaning of an author's language with a whim or fancy of the interpreter. And so when you're interpreting something allegorically, you can read what it says on the, pass on the page, and then you're going to take it, and you're going to try to make it mean something else altogether. And it may go along with a story, but you're going to try to make it mean something else altogether. And again, that goes along with the fancy of the interpreter. The basic authority is the mind of the interpreter. That's the second danger, not the scriptures. So interpretations can be twisted by doctrinal positions, by the authority of the interpreter's church or social or educational background, et cetera, et cetera. And so an allegorical interpretation, again, can come from a guy's doctrinal position. Well, I don't really believe that Jesus is coming back, and so that just is talking about the kingdom of God coming on the earth through, you know, through us going out and sharing the gospel, and Jesus comes in the sense that he comes into the hearts of everyone, and blah, 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 blah. And so the second coming of Jesus Christ is nullified by an allegorical interpretation of the second coming. What the Bible in actuality says is that there was an angel standing there when Jesus ascended into heaven. The apostles are looking up at him as he's disappearing into a cloud. And the angel says, why are you men of Galilee standing here staring into heaven? This same Jesus is going to return just as you saw him leave. And so that's what the Bible actually says. And again, guys go through and they don't believe that that's going to take place. And so they come up with an allegory. Thirdly, it leaves the reader without a means to test the conclusions of the interpreter. If the Bible doesn't mean what it says, 
and, and you're coming up and giving me an interpretation. Well, let's flip that around. If I'm sitting here and I'm telling you that the Bible doesn't actually mean what it says, and I'm going through and reading the words, and the words say one thing, and I come up with a totally different meaning for what it actually says, how are you ever gonna check me? Because I'm the one who's given the interpretation. How are you gonna check me? How are you gonna know if my interpretation is wrong? And especially if you're somebody who's into allegory. So what makes your allegory better than my allegory? My allegory is obviously better than yours because I'm better looking than you. I don't know. It literally puts the, the whole interpretive situation into the realm of the interpreter and nobody can second guess them on that whole thing, okay? And so you can't check. The fourth thing is when once the principle of allegory is admitted, when once we start with the rule that whole passages and books of scripture say one thing when they mean another, the reader is delivered bound hand and foot to the caprice of the interpreter. Caprice just means the whim of the interpreter. And so once you start down the road of allegory, you have some real problems. The student can be sure of nothing except what is dictated to him by the church or the interpreter. This is another quote. He can be sure of absolutely nothing except what is dictated to him by the church. And in all ages, the authority of the church has been falsely claimed for the presumptuous tyranny of false prevalent opinions. To state that the principal meaning of the Bible is a second sense meaning and that the principal method of interpreting is spiritualizing is to open the door to almost uncontrolled speculation and imagination. For this reason, we've insisted that the control in interpretation is the literal method. And so again, when you're, when you're talking about allegorizing scripture, if you're gonna take a passage and say that it doesn't mean what it actually says, then you can make it mean anything. I have commentaries by guys who allegorize prophecy in the Old Testament. I have commentaries on, for example, the book of Isaiah or on the book of Ezekiel, and these guys that are allegorizing, guess what? Their allegories never go together because one guy has one idea, another guy has another idea, and they're not paying any kind of attention to what the text actually says. And again, that's the problem with allegorizing. Okay, so the second method is what's called the grammatical historical method or the literal method of interpretation. Here's the definition. Literal method of interpretation is that method that gives to each word the same exact basic meaning it would have in normal, ordinary, customary usage, whether employed in writing, speaking, or thinking. And what that means is words mean things. Words mean things. And when an author writes down a string of words, puts it in a sentence or in a paragraph, he means something by those things. And the meaning is found by looking at the grammar, not by trying to throw something into the passage that you come up with in your own mind. That is the normal approach in all languages. It's the weirdest thing because there are literally only two documents I know that people go through and try to make the words mean something different. And one of them is the Bible. And so you see this all the time. Guys go through and go, well, I think that this means this, and I think that this means that, and I think that's, you know, and you have five people in a room looking at a passage of scripture and you get six different interpretations. 
And, and it, again, it's because they're not paying attention to what the passage says. So it's the Bible and the Constitution. Both of those. Actually, I should, I should say the Bible, the Constitution, and any political speech that you don't agree with. It's the weirdest thing. One of the things that I, that I ran into when I was younger, I was never very much interested in politics and until I, I got into the 80s. And actually, when I really got interested is when President Reagan was in office because I liked the guy. And the reason I liked the guy is because they kept shutting down the government and he could give a rip. He was like, shut it down. <laughs> I'll, save it. I'll, I'll, I'll save the people money. And so he had that kind of attitude. And one of the things that started happening was I started listening to his speeches. And so he would be on the news and there were like three main net networks back, back then at the time. He'd be on the news, he'd be given a speech. I would sit there and listen to the speech and then he'd get done, and then you'd have the commentators who came on the news afterwards who would tell you what he said in the speech, and what he said in the speech was completely different than what they told me that he said in the speech. So if I hadn't listened to the speech and just listened to what they said, they went through and made him say sometimes exactly the opposite of what he said. That's when I started figuring out that people have agendas. They want to come up with things. It's the same thing with the Bible. People do this with the Bible all the time. And so... It's the normal approach in all languages to take people seriously when they say something, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna deal with all the different issues that, that come up in interpretation. All secondary meanings of passages depend for their very existence on the previous literal meaning of the terms, okay? So when you're talking about, for example, parables. So Jesus you know, talks about the parable of the 10 virgins. And so there were 10 virgins, five were wise, five were foolish, and they were waiting for the bridegroom and they weren't prepared. You know, you go through that, through that whole thing. Well, the parable itself is a story that's being used to illustrate a principle. But in the story itself, there are actual facts in the story. And so it's a story, but you got 10 virgins, okay, or 10 bridesmaids. And so a bridesmaid is something. You can't make it up and, and say that a bridesmaid is a groomsman just because you decide it. Uh, or a bridesmaid is a turtle. A bridesmaid is a bridesmaid. And so in a parable, what you're doing is you're going through, there's a real story, he uses certain words, and he's using it to illustrate something else. So the secondary meaning, and the meaning in the parable of the 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids, is you better be ready when the Lord comes back. That's the meaning of the parable. But he uses this story and all the events in the story to illustrate that, that parable. If you don't have a literal interpretation of the story, you can never get the meaning of the parable. And so if, again, if I come along and say the bridesmaid, bridesmaids are turtles, you're never gonna get the meaning of the parable. Follow that? It's the same thing when you have types. So you have types in the Bible. And so one of the most famous types is where Abraham offers up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And in the passage, it lets you know that, that the whole event is prophetic. This is gonna be seen, Abraham says, in the mountain of the Lord. And so Abraham's offering up his son, his only son, whom he loves. That's what God says about Isaac. Isaac was a miracle baby. That's what happened with Jesus. Um, they traveled for three days. Abraham thought he was going to kill his son. And so for three days, Isaac is a dead man as far as Abraham's concerned. 
Abraham believed that he was going to have to go through the slaughter of his son and that his son was going to be raised from the dead. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kenwick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.